Welcome to the Story Paths podcast, where we explore links between story and culture. I'm Theodore Lowry, your host. I'm excited to announce that, as of March 2023, I've released my first on-demand creativity course. It's on Skillshare, nestled within a library of great creative courses, and if you're not already on there, I've got a link in the show notes where you can get a free month. My course is called Creative Writing, Brainstorming Story Ideas. In it, I guide you through finding ideas within your memories, working with them as symbols, and learning to deftly combine and recombine them into meaningful stories. There's a trailer for the course there in the show notes, along with the free link. Hope to see you in there. And so, we begin. Welcome to the Story Paths podcast. I'm Theodore Lowry, and today I'm joined by my friend Eliad, who is a resident of Salt Spring Island, which is where we're staying. We met picking olives the other day and got into all kinds of great and deep conversations around the olive trees. So thank you to the trees for that, and thank you, Eliad, for coming. Uh, Eliad is from Jewish background, and he's been very interested over the years in stories of exile and redemption stories that have a very personal resonance for him and that resonate within the Jewish faith. There's an overlap of that group story and his own story. So I wanted to invite you today, Eliad, to discuss about these things. And yeah, just just open it up. What What is it about exile and redemption that resonates with you, and if you could just bring us into those themes. Okay, well, thank you, Theodore. Thank you. I, um, this is a topic very dear to my heart because I've been very aware of my exile from God, from, you could say, from myself, from Source, um, our primary relationship is with God, or other people might call it our spiritual self. And when we're disconnected, there's a lot of suffering. And there's a lot of other secondary stories that emerge, like feeling abandoned or guilty or unloved or condemned or whatever might come up for us and I see that that's really the um, deep wounding in humanity in general and Judaism specifically Um, the Jewish path is really a path of exile the whole religion is based on the experience of exile so so it helps me understand myself through understanding that and seeing it in the world. And for those who aren't familiar, could you elaborate in Jewish history and the stories and histories within Judaism about how exile is such a theme in ancient history and, of course, more recent history, but especially going back, going back 
Yeah, well, we all know and we all suffer from the original exile described in the Torah as being exiled from the Garden of Eden. There's different cultures, have different descriptions, but it's very common in many different mythologies to describe uh, a time of innocence and connection and then a loss of that, an exile from that. So that's the, the first wounding um, that were cast off into the world, and from that many wrong things happen because exile begets more exile generally speaking. And uh, I could go on in the Jewish story. The Jewish religion, as we know it, was formed um, from the exile of the Jews from Israel with the destruction of the temple, um, the first temple, and then the second temple in Roman times, the first temple in Babylonian times. Um and the whole like liturgy and story of, of Judaism is, is based on that exile. There's a really interesting uh, quality in, in Judaism that we have, maybe it's a little unique uh, compared to some other cultures, is that we have a long memory. Um, we have 3,000 years of written words and stories and a very strong tradition so we can see you'd say the patterns of exile through the centuries and millennium um, at one point there's a story that Napoleon was walking by um, some synagogue maybe in France and the Jews were lamenting and crying and making a whole bunch of noise. And he asked uh, one of his aides, what's happening with these Jews? Why are they making so much noise? It was on the ninth of Av, which is a day of mourning for the destruction of the temple. Hmm. Um, and so his aide said that to Napoleon. And Napoleon said, when did that just, when did that happen recently? Like, no, no, 2000 years ago. And he's like, whoa, if they're still crying from 2,000 years ago, they're going to find their way back home. So obviously the story is told from a Jewish perspective, but the idea behind it is that in Judaism there's a real emphasis on memory and that in actually being able to still feel it and feel the grief, feel like like we're told in the, in the uh, holiday of Passover, that commemorates the leaving of Egypt, which in a sense was also a, a redemption from an exile, um, which was the formation of the Jewish nation. We're told to tell the story as if we ourselves had been there. So there's a lot of emphasis on memory of like, this is not just happening to them, it happened to me, to us, you know? And I guess the idea is that as long as we're still remembering it, there's still a redemption possibility. If the Jews didn't have a very long memory, they would have never come back to Israel. They would have forgotten long ago those stories that brought them back to Israel, for instance. Mm. So, I guess that's one way to see it. Um, there's also, a, the Jews have been criticized for having that kind of memory too and holding on to that sense of separation or suffering. And, um, so there's different levels to it. Yeah. Mm. 
Yeah, that's that's very interesting. I'm I'm curious about this grieving and your experience of that as a personal grieving. Hmm. And I I wonder if I can phrase this right, if if you really when when you're in that, when you've been in that you felt that your own personal grief, mm-hmm. your sense of being separate from God, separate from Source, is inter interwoven with that grief of the people, of the Jewish people, in separation. Does it become very personal for you? Hmm. Yes, there's different layers to it because I have a complex where I'm even grieving my exile from the Jewish community. Mm. So I think in its essence and origin, you know, going into the grief of the ninth of Av, for instance, and the, you know, commemorating the fast day, commemorating the, the structure of the temple that one connects with one's inner separation and, and uh, exile. But generally I feel that I've, I've done a lot of that on my own because I haven't really felt that alignment or enfoldment in the Jewish community. Um, just going back a little bit, I wanted to speak on that you know, there's a teaching that says where the wounding in is is where the gift is. Hmm. And so, for me, and maybe as a for the Jewish people as a collective, that the wound is um, in the exile and the separation from God indicates also that the gift is to be connected to God. Hmm. That that's the, and therefore it hurts so much more in a sense to not be connected. Mm. you know and so i i feel that that in a sense that we i mean you can say everything i'm saying about humanity in general too but i within the jewish context maybe it's accentuated or it's more apparent for me um how disconnected judaism is even from god you know, like that's the whole problematic of creating an identity based on separation or exile. And and then at one point that identity, which, you know, had a purpose for, let's say, survival, preservation, becomes actually the impediment to not being in exile, to the real resolution of that exile. So we get fixed in a certain place, identity. So for instance, Judaism is so fixed in the space of exile that you have to practically let go of Judaism to to like you know, heal that exile. Hmm. And that's something I've noticed outward in the you know, in Judaism because I notice it in myself, how that identity that's been created is actually the impediment. Hmm. And that ultimately, the resolution of the exile 
and the best that I've been able to ascertain, and so I'm really open to other deep wisdom on this, but what's in my what's come to me is that the real resolution, the full resolution, is the recognition that there never was an exile in the first place. Hmm. But that's really hard because that identity has to admit it was wrong. That so I, I know this through myself again. Like I, I can say that there was a you know a wounding, and yes, there was a wounding, but it wasn't that God all of a sudden left. It was I that left. He would say, hmm. and I have this story. Um, based on my wounding that something really wrong had happened and there was something really wrong with me. And therefore, I wasn't acceptable to God anymore. I wasn't. And therefore, that idea propelled me into exile. Hmm. So I see that the real healing of it is to forgive that wrong idea. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite quite profound. Yeah, the 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 idea that I'm unacceptable to God. Yeah, so, as 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 I am that I'm I'm somehow insufficient or uh, too fallen or too enamored with, uh, worldly things or what have you, that I'm somehow not up to the basic standard of God's love. Is that kind of like that? Yeah. Like even if we go back to the Garden of Eden story, we can look at it and say, what made it so that Adam and Eve were exiled from the garden? Was it because they ate the fruit or was it because they felt ashamed about having eaten the fruit. Huh, quite a question. Yeah. Yeah. Was it? Yeah, because that, that shame of eating the fruit, as as I understand it, is placing a limit on God's love. Yeah. You know, God won't love me if I eat this fruit. Surely God's love doesn't extend to those who have crossed his order. Right. And that, yeah, might be seen, like, yeah, as a, as a kind of offense, not against God per se, but like, it's quite a different idea of God at that point, isn't it? Because I mean, I'm more familiar and not that familiar, but with Christianity in the Old Testament, and of course, there's a lot of overlap. I don't know quite where the overlap is and isn't um, with the Jewish tradition or traditions, threads within Judaism. Um, but you, you know, you get a sense of quite a judgmental father figure kind of God mm-hmm. who's, who's, you know, this is how it's going to be in my house. And anybody who doesn't follow the rules doesn't get my affection, you know, That's doesn't, right. doesn't get my blessings. Yeah. It's a certain, certain vision of God, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and it's not the only vision of God that people have had on the planet throughout time <laughs> you know the different ways of seeing uh yeah we use the word god or source or you know the central meaning of life creator 
it's tricky for those who are creating a religion, even with the best of intentions, because they're already coming from the exile. You know, like, as we were saying before the recording, like with, let's say, Christianity's relationship to the body, like, there's already an unbalance. And so, so the religions, you could say, are some people's effort for rem, 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 for rem, I can't speak, sorry, for the re- remedy for that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and there's goodness in that, but the problem is that these people, as wise as they might be and good intention as they might be, mm. are coming from the exile. Right. It starts from the presumption of exile. Yeah. They, they even their thinking is from that place. So, so again, we have a problem where can the exile um, consciousness, um, can you know, convey or conceive something that is isn't from the exile? Hmm. Yeah. That's quite something. It, it brings me to a thought um, in India in the Bhakti tradition. There's a strong thread of union in separation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the separation, the separation from God, the sense of separation from God, and then the sense of union with God. Mm-hmm. And it's said that within union exists separation, and within separation exists union. Mm-hmm. So when a person is deeply yearning for union with God, within that yearning, at the heart of that yearning, is a connection with God. This this yearning wouldn't couldn't be there. It couldn't be such a strong yearning unless there was a sense of God, unless there was mm-hmm. a sense of that relationship and that love. Right. Otherwise, you know, doing something else, right? Totally. We wouldn't even know what we're looking for if we wouldn't know. have a sense of having lost it. Yeah. So there's that sense yeah. that deep, deep, deep within that yearning, within that separation, mm-hmm. is the union. Yeah. And within the union, there's the possibility of separation. Like if something is, you know, it's kind of a, not the most poetic example, but if, if something's so good, if, you know, something experience you're having, ice cream or something, <laughs> mm-hmm. is so good you don't want it to end, but you're kind of like, oh, but I know it will. So there's that, that, that sense that, oh, there's this union, and yet I know that there'll come a time when I'm not feeling this, so that that separation is there within the union. Yeah. So I wonder, I wonder when you're speaking about the uh, the ceremony, um, the day where Jewish people mourn the loss of mm. that ancient temple, or original temple. Yeah. If in the sense of that, there could be could be this as well, like let's go let's go so deeply into grief, and so deeply into this yearning and separation that we connect with God. Well, it's interesting you say it that way. In the 16th century, there was a rabbi, tip of my tongue, like, can't remember his name at the moment. 
But he was very popular. He, he was a popular of um, like head of a, a movement that swept Europe. A lot of it was a very messianic movement, and he was teaching a different kind of Judaism, and he was teaching something that some of the rabbis have touched on, which is the ninth of Av, this day of mourning, will be a day of celebration. And that's when the day the Messiah will be born. So it's symbolic, whether the idea of the messianic redemption is born then, or whether it's actually a person, it's like, this is from that, from these ashes, that's, you know, what comes through. And and in uh, this particular rabbi was teaching, let's not mourn anymore. Let's celebrate on this day. Hmm. You know. Um, so yeah, so it's interesting that within that there's the seed of the ultimate redemption. Within that, yeah, pain of exile. Is there is there room for that in in widespread readings of the meaning of the day of Av. Is it called the day of Av? Ninth of Av, yeah. Um, Is there room for that to be seen symbolically symbolically and personally more so than historically? In the sense that that is the day when you and I and us may celebrate and connect back to God whether the temple is restored or not <laughs> well it'd be nice but normative Judaism like that rabbi was an exception and uh, people in went back to like well we'll have to wait for the Messiah to come let's keep on mourning you know so uh-huh. it, it didn't really take off that way um, but that would be a radical transformation I, I have at times felt that in myself like no I don't I don't want to put too much energy into like, like get stuck in this like place of mourning. Um, but it's interesting because it's, it's about transformation. It's like, you know, they say that, let's say I don't, a person who's had a really hard life and a lot of trauma, and let's say they're on heroin or whatever is happening. And then, they get to a certain place, they're getting maybe so low, so desperate, so unhappy that something shifts in them and then they they really change their life. And they can look back and say, you know, thank God for that car accident or that heroin or that broken relationship because it woke me up or it got me mm. to where I am, right? So in that sense, when you already have made that those steps, you can look back and we can look back and say, you know, Thank, we can celebrate the ninth of Av because it's that that shook us up and woke us up, uh-huh. you know. But until we're on the other side, we we can't really. We don't have that perspective. We're like, oh, that's a terrible day that happened because uh-huh. we don't see its place in things. And the truth is, it's not a f- decided already thing. It's what we do with it when we redeem it, when we transform it. Then the ninth of Av becomes this beautiful day, and we can be grateful for that. Mm. Um, but if we don't transform it, then it was just a hard day, you know? And, and, uh, I think we're somewhere in the middle now or between the two. We're in process, you could say. It's yeah. And it's interesting that 
that idea of both existing at the same time, that it's a day of mourning and celebration. Mm. Um, like we were touching on earlier uh, with Christianity and you know meditative traditions <coughs> in India, as a whole, as in general, there's a big emphasis, as I understand, put on ascension mm. as opposed to descent. Uh, where light and upward movement and joy and positivity and eternality and bliss and, you know, full awareness and all of these things are considered good. Mm -hmm. And, you know, upward connection with God, like a kind of idea of a sky God in a sense, as opposed to a downward sense of God, our downward sense of uh, deeper reality, the earth, caves, underworld, not underworld as hell, but underworld as, as a deepening into one's sense of self. Uh, you know, you could kind of think of it mythologically as, yes, sky god and earth god, and some of the earliest gods according to archaeology and so on, are, are earth gods. And then the sky god idea came somewhat later. And maybe there's some trauma in that. Maybe there's some trauma in that, let me get out of here, you know, because humanity has been so brutal with other aspects of humanity. Uh, and just natural disasters and the fact that we're all going to die, especially without a real cultural container, can be pretty hard to deal with by itself, you know, to be fair. <laughs> so, but I've been wondering about this, yes, yeah, simultaneous encompassing of the descent and the ascent, the grieving and the joy that perhaps the goal may not be to leave the grieving for the joy, but to expand one's heart enough to include both. Mm. Yeah. I wonder how that sure. sits with you. <laughs> that feels good, like what you're saying. It's interesting, I'm trying to connect some threads because we're, there is different vocabulary being used and some of it isn't matched exactly with other concepts that we've been talking about. But I'm going to see if I can connect them a bit. Hmm. So let's say, because I obviously there there is that idea out there that religion is the opium of the people, or or that somehow religion God was created as a psychological answer to our predicament, you know. Hmm. But let's say for a bit, because I'll take the Jewish perspective that that there's actually an objective truth that clumsily we're trying to describe, but there's actually something more like we're in the image of God rather than God's in the image of us, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, theomorphic. What's that? Yeah. They call it, instead of anthropomorphic, right. it's theomorphic. Right. Yeah. So in a sense, I'd say that, because there's an interesting Jewish uh, concept and teaching that says that the Shekhinah went with the Jews in ex into exile. And the Shekhinah is the 
commonly thought of as the female aspect of God mm. in certain circles, but it, literally it's more the indwelling presence of God. Mm. So in the terms of what we were previously talking about in the olive uh, grove around spirit and soul, you could say the Shekhinah is more the soul quality of the divine. I see, yeah. And and the teaching you is... Mean like the, the incarnated spirit, in a sense? Yeah, it's the feminine indwelling. Maybe that's the nature of feminine. It's embodied more, uh-huh. you know? And maybe, possibly, that connects with what you were saying about the descent in the earth. But, but the teaching says that the Shekhinah went with the Jews in exile. Hmm. That because of their exile, because of what they did, and there is an understanding that it's their actions that cut themselves off from source or from, you know... The, the father god, you could say, on some level. But the mother god didn't abandon them. It went mm. with them. Huh. You know? So it's interesting because you have these roles where, you know, in a sense, you get a sense the mother god stays with her children and weeps f- with them. Mm. Whereas the father god is more like, well, come back when you're ready kind of yeah, thing, you so know? I've said the terms, you know what they are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so so in that sense, I, I I would say, yeah, maybe there is a deep purpose in the exile. And I'll just tie in some like Kabbalah in there, like some more esoteric things and the idea that, so this is in short, a Kabbalistic concept of, that reminds us a bit of the big bang, but it's like the beginning cosmology, which is that there's this vessel created, we, we would assume by God, but there's this vessel and God's light comes into it. and But God's light is so great, so intense, so big, that it shatters the vessel hmm. into millions of pieces. And those pieces go into all the different souls and beings. And those are all the sparks of the divine. You know? And that one of our work as light workers or as you know, spiritual people is to gather those sparks and bring, bring them up, lift them up unite them again, you know, in, in, in awareness or in consciousness. And so how do we go find those sparks that are hidden now and submerged in all these different layers of personality, of form, of whatever? We have to go into the exile. We have to go there. You know, you could say, like, go to the mud to find the diamonds covered with mud, right? Mm-hmm. And so that is part of our work so in that sense there's no error in that where we need to be willing to go into the exile which on some levels the descent because even the world of form this material world on some level is an exile in its duality from the oneness you know or at least our identification with this form is is our is an exile from that oneness you know, um, like if you imagine a person who awakes, who's enlightened, and they have this like amazing one is experience, and they come back to like normal consciousness, and they're making their breakfast and they're doing their thing, and they're like, there's a sense of exile, you know, because mm-hmm. they're the, the the contrast between that space of oneness and love, and now the everyday, you know, and and so the teaching is it's in that form and the material and everyday that we find those sparks to lift them up, to, to un, you could say, unveil them, 
and that is actually the the deeper mystical uh, teachings or purpose of in Judaism in the prayers and the rituals you know hmm. is to work in this world um, to unite the sparks which ultimately is our own soul with God this is interesting it it brings up a couple things for me um, one is that some of the imagery uh, I mean, even to say jewels covered in mud, because, you know, mud is, mud, soil, is the source of life in this world, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and there is a certain casting of this world as being um, dirty, you know, as even the word dirt, it's like the word dirt compared to the word soil. It's the same thing, but soil is, you know, I think of mycelium and earthworms and organic gardens and things, and then dirt is like, oh, dirt. Uh, So it seems like there's a certain casting of the world as as a negative that's covering the positive, which is something you see in the Indian traditions as well. Um, That sense that the spiritual being is covered by matter uh and then so that's one thing is part of me is like reacts a bit to that hearing that you know like wait what about soil you know (laughs) champion the soil Mm. um and the 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 lower world or the middle world as it's called sometimes Mm. and then the other thing that i think of is kind of a counterpoint to that which is that you know yes soil is uh a wonderful thing and a forest is sacred and the ocean is uh you know given by god these kinds of thoughts of 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 experiencing god within this world and at the same time you know i can't deny that there's terrible forgetfulness of our true nature in this world i mean why all the warfare why all the uh, brutalization, um, you know, either we sort of say, well, that's our true nature, which I, I don't accept, or something somehow is influencing us to not live into our our soul uh, identity, you could say. So I wonder how that, how that sits with you. <laughs> well, I hear you. There's, it's good. There's so many thoughts on that. There's, it's a good... Um, yeah, who are we? I guess, you know, you can ask that question. Because we're definitely blessed by the earth and our bodies and this experience. But for the spiritual uh, adepts, whether they're in Israel or India, there's a sense of who we are and how the average person is lost to that, in a sense, because there's so many veils between who we are and appearances in this world. Even in the Torah, like the teaching in, in uh, esoteric Judaism, is there's 3,000 veils between truth and the Torah, the scriptures 
it's interesting. There's only a thousand veils between the Zohar, which is the uh, Kabbalistic esoteric teachings, hmm. and the truth. And I say it's interesting because if you actually read the Zohar, it's so opaque and hard to decipher <laughs> that, oh, really? that you'd think there'd be a lot more veils. <laughs> but the point is that that there's something underneath what we see and appears to be happening, you know. And um, and it's not is it bad? It's not bad, but it depends what our, our Purposes, or you could say, what the goal of humanity, or the goal of maturation, evolution. This is my dog whining, by the way. For those who are listening, <laughs> this you want to go outside? Oh, I'll just put him outside. Come here, come. I just was, yeah. It just came to me that that is interesting. Is an interesting question. Like, to what extent um, is there a certain upset that's happening in our world, even as we notice it now? that's based on a maturation process, which I totally agree is not being guided by elders and has, you know, a lot of hiccups, but that maybe there's actually something that we're exploring that in our evolution, that in order to get to that place where we are knowing who we actually are. I mean, one thing that I'm feeling these days is that perhaps what's being asked of us is yes simultaneous earth sky connection you could say or simultaneous embodied incarnated and uh, transcendent eternal understanding um mentioned earlier one view is you know i don't know it's maybe a simplification uh but some of the primary religions on earth in the last you know two three thousand years have put a lot of emphasis on the sky and on life after death you know and on freeing ourselves from the shackles of matter or maya and perhaps that's part of why the world's in the state it's in because if our spiritual values don't include care for the world and you know meanwhile we're a keystone species uh, for caring for the world, <laughs> you know, but we're kind of checking out spiritually, then that's problematic, you know? Uh, whereas in indigenous cultures, you often see that uh, the spiritual values include care, include care for the world, for the land, include a role within the ecosystem, This this understanding that we humans are are a, a nation within the ecosystem, just like there's the buffalo nation and the different bird nations. We too are a nation. We are in relationship with all the other beings here. There's that real sense of of being incarnated. Um, and I've been surprised because I, you know, from my 
small knowledge of indigenous teachings, which is, of course, already a very broad word, um, but learning from particularly Pat McCabe, uh, who's a Dene woman who studied with the Lakota, and Sherry Mitchell, who's a Wabanaki elder. I've been surprised just how detailed and mystical uh, the teachings go. There's the kind of broadly understood concepts of indigenous teachings, which, of course, we think, okay, yeah, there's care for the land, a sense of the interconnectedness of life and the interwoven nature of life, and that we're a strand of that. So very much like our our ecological identity and role interrelationship in this world. Uh, and that's true, that is in indigenous teachings. And yet it's, it's somewhat, it, it's become a little cliche, not because it's not true, but because there's so much more to the teachings as well. And, uh, yeah, a sense of, a sense of spirit, a sense of transcendence, along with a sense of inhabiting the world. Um, and in that sense, you could look at the departure from living in those ways, being very close to the land, as a kind of fault, you know, as a kind of mistake, not necessarily a stage in the progression of humanity, um, but a, uh, a fall from Eden, where Eden is where we're in accord with the rest of life. Right. I, I guess it's interesting because I see we've moved into a different topic and it's quite important, quite a very powerful uh, connotations of what this means or what this is about for us. How are we to take this last three, five thousand, ten thousand, however you measure it, years? You right. Know? And what lens are we seeing it? And see, yeah. like, the thing is, like, I'm a product of a certain society, not just Jewish, but, you know, Western society, and I'm a, a male. Like, I'm a product of all these things. And so I experience it in a certain way. And so I could say that through myself, I relate to it because that's how I experienced it. Like, for instance, I experienced my childhood as a time of innocence and connection. Mm. And then I experienced um, kind of like coming into teenagerhood as, as a time of coming into self-consciousness in an aggravated way, like, you know, a way of... Um, coming into that space of exile, of duality, of disconnection, you know? Um, and, you know, maybe I've seen it as, oh, I'm disconnected from God, but one could e easily, I mean, equally say I was disconnected from body, from heart. From you earth, know? yeah. From earth, for and sure. If we lived in a culture that supported that, perhaps that transition to adolescence and then to adulthood wouldn't necessitate a greater disconnection 
but might actually be bringing us into a broader connection. Right. But I just wanted to, like, I guess complete the thought that mm. because this is my experience of it, if I'm to tell my story, I would say that this fall, this exile, was actually an important step for my evolution. And mm. so now I'm telling a global story and saying, mm. perhaps this, what's happening is an important step in our evolution, mm-hmm. you know? Um, well, if it wasn't, then it, well, again, back to that idea that what we do with it makes it so. It could either be an error or an important step in our evolution, depending on what we do with it, right? Well, this is this is a quite an interesting point. Because um, the idea is going around that we're in the midst of a collective initiation. Mm-hmm. Now, some some would say, no, it can't be an initiation because we don't have, we're not in like, mainstream culture, whatever you want to call it, is not really an intact culture. We don't have rites of passage. We don't have that many elders, true elders. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the ceremonies. It's it's like, how can there be an initiation when there's not all of that? Isn't that just, you know, people without intact cultures, colonial cultures and so on, uh, claiming the... Uh, cultural wealth that they don't have, you know, mm-hmm. cultural appropriation. So isn't that just another example of cultural appropriation? So that's one idea. Um, I lean more towards that it's a rough initiation, a rough initiation in the sense that it's an initiation without without the support of many elders or a community to welcome back or guidance or rituals, you know. And yet, what an initiation it may be um, to witness the very earth that supports us in such duress that we may not survive. Uh, this is quite something to go through. Um, whatever, wherever you stand, if you're aware of that. And in initiation, uh, rights... As I understand it, most groups there would be some danger. It's an encounter with death. Yeah, you know, you don't know if you're going to survive. You don't know 100 percent if you're going to survive. You know, yeah. most people do, but it's actually not everybody does. Like, there's some real danger there. Hmm. Um, and if a person doesn't survive, then it may be that they weren't really ready to become an adult. Basically, uh, as I understand it. So there's a reason for that danger. There's there's a reason why it's not an easy walk into adulthood mm-hmm. because being an adult's a very responsible thing, you know? Yeah. So as a species, if we talk about collective initiation, uh I mean God, there's a lot of hardships, that's for sure. Um we're a little buffered here, but more and more aware certainly of all the difficulties going on and, you know, BC's now been flooded and on fire and uh, nobody's really apart from all these things going on in the world and it's a reaction to our own, you know, immaturity as a species or especially some people more than others. Uh, 
a really dysfunctional relationship with other humans and with the earth. So anyway, it's it could be seen as a collective initiation into adulthood mm-hmm. as a species. Yeah, you know, I think that's a a valid way of seeing it. Yeah, uh, while being aware that you know of cultural appropriation and of well, what's that kind situation of we're in? Well, cultural appropriation in the sense that it's kind of like the weekend shaman. You know, uh-huh. like, okay, I'm going to fly down to South America, I'm going to do some ayahuasca, I'm going to take a few workshops, and I'm going to come back, I'm going to call myself a shaman. Okay. But meanwhile, uh, the context of becoming a shaman, or whatever the word a tribe may use, like a medicine person, I get that is part. a whole life. I get, understand that. But, so but same it, for initiation, it, that's the idea. For initiation into adulthood. Oh, you mean, are we really being initiated, or are we just like saying we are because we went to a workshop or something. Yeah, are we just saying we are because it's the fashionable thing to do? And, you know, it's kind of cool to talk about how being initiated uh, in the middle of, in the midst of our comfortable lives. That's the idea. So, yeah, yeah, for you sure. Know, and I, sure. I'm saying that I think that's a valid concern. Yeah. And at the same time, if that's the only concern, then that could really uh, put out, like putting out a fire the real possibility of change. You know, it's like, just because it's possible to do something poorly, it doesn't mean it shouldn't be done properly. It shouldn't be done truly. Mm, yeah. 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 Well, it's very interesting what you're saying. I I wanted to just go back a little bit and weave in this idea of where God is. Like, is God disembodied up somewhere far away? Or is God in this world, in our hearts, mm-hmm. you know? And and I, I definitely agree that the best place to be is where there's no separation. And maybe that's the definition of not being in exile, when the heart and spirit are not separate, when they're inhabiting together. And for me, that's when anything meaningful that happens, if healing happens, crying, making love, whatever, requires the pieces to be together, all those parts, the, the, the divine and the heart and the body. And, you know, and so maybe another definition of, of exile is fragmentation mm. compared mm-hmm. to, um, holistic coming to, yeah. Being united, being, being connected, being one, um, being oneself. Yeah. And so obviously there's an ultimate level where regardless of the experience, it's all one, but the, experience of our that we're having the consciousness if it's fragmented Mm. and isn't and that's what happens um in trauma part of us gets cut off or or disconnects or leaves and that leads to the experience of exile the same way in you know a national trauma like you know like the the jews describe whether it's the destruction of the temple or the Holocaust, it leads to that experience of being cut off, mm-hmm. of being, uh, you know, some, and so it's interesting because yes, on that level of looking at it, let's say there's a part, the Shekhinah that goes with the, the people, but there's also a part that doesn't because it keeps itself intact by not, descending you can say because there's a, a spiritual part that requires a safe container mm. to feel good about inhabiting it in a mm. sense you know 
and that is something that that anthroposophy also speaks about and that is a concern in the times that we're in now with transhumanism and a lot of like you know focus on technology and and having a human being be so out of alignment with its true connection which which that spirit has trouble inhabiting it hmm. which from my perspective is another way of describing that split that exile hmm. it comes back to you know the disconnection is not that god has exiled humans necessarily but that humans are somehow not able to open to that god's love you know not able to 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 hold it to carry it yeah well there's a partnership to understand how unconditional it is perhaps <laughs> for sure that too because yeah. you're you're right if we understood the ultimate love you know and jesus talks about that and such then we can be like a leper person misformed and all that and still god's love can come in mm mm-hmm. But generally, I think it's conditional, not just and, for others, yeah, but yeah. for ourselves. And, and as well. so we, we, so it's hard for spirit to come in. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's exile, it's like yeah. self-imposed exile. It so. is, but it's on a deep level. Like I know people who are handicapped or or have like pain or suffering in this in the body level because their their spirit has such a high um, standard or ideas of what's pure and impure right and not right that they're rejecting the parts of them that aren't perfect and therefore Mm -hmm. fighting against themselves which is a way of this finding uh, autoimmune disease for instance you know Hmm. yeah i I know i'm tying in different threads here yeah but it's actually interesting if you look into it there's there's actually a movie called the boy and his horse where the family who had an autistic child went oh, to Mon- yeah, yeah, Mongolia. That, yeah. Or horse boy, maybe. Right, so they're looking for a shaman. So what is a shaman mm. doing? He's calling in the spirit. Mm. You know? So, um, so yeah, it's interesting just like tying it all. I don't think it's like a negation of the physical. It's a alignment where the spirit can inhabit the physical. Mm. Yeah. Right. Well, that's... That's a good point. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're coming up on our time here. That mm-hmm. seems like quite a beautiful place to start wrapping things up. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, just just open it to you if there's if there's anything else you wanted to to mention. Maybe close up. Of course, it's sort of an it's like being it's like a little part of a river, isn't it? Yeah. There's not really a beginning and an end to the. This conversation, but uh, it's an ongoing thing. I just want to say thank you for this conversation, and it brings up things in me, and it, and I recognize my edge in it. Like there's things I speak about because they're familiar, and I already could say I know this, but there's other things I'm like, whoa, okay, you know, how much am I caring of the exile mentality myself that keeps me in that rut of not. Uh, not stepping into a different paradigm, perhaps like one that is more feminine uh, centered, more earth centered, more honoring of of the divine in form. Mm. Yeah, so I recognize I have that. I've inherited that paradigm of of being more like 
up here or mm-hmm. over there, or, you know? Yeah. And so it's something for me to, to look at as well, to be like, yeah, yeah, what is that? What does that look like to to see the divine and to honor it in, in, in all the forms of this world? Thank you for your openness and your depth and your understanding. Thank you. Yeah, this has been really rich. Thanks for listening to Story Paths, where we finger threads weaving story with culture. Before we go, I'd like to remind you of my new course, Creative Writing, Brainstorming Story Ideas, that is now available on Skillshare. If you're looking for a playful, creative space, this may just be for you. You can find the trailer and a link for a free month of Skillshare in the show notes. And as we part, I send my best wishes for you and yours. In the words of the Irish poet John O'Donoghue, May you realize that the shape of your soul is unique, that you have a special destiny here, and behind the facade of your life, there is something beautiful and eternal happening. And so we close.